0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel Rochester. First Corinthians chapter seven. This morning, um, <clears throat> I don't know how different pastors break up chapter seven, but I figured I saw three great, like you know, if you're if you're an outliner, you kind of look for those things to outline, and I, I thought it was really great because. Uh, Paul says, starts out in verse 1, Now concerning the things which he wrote to me, We'll talk a little bit about that. But then that's verses 1 through 9. So he's dealing with some questions. Verse 10 through 24, he says, now to the married. So he's going to speak about married life. And then verses 25 through 40, he talks, uh, he says, now concerning virgins. And he starts talking about uh, single people. And uh, even uh, unmarried is in the sense of being widows or widowers. And so, you know, that's the, to me, that's the breakup of, of chapter 7. And so... Verse one. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, and and you know the interesting thing is we don't know what those things are. We don't know. We don't have a record of those questions that Paul uh, was asked by the Corinthian believers. Um, but we do have Paul's answer right here in chapter seven. His answers here, chapter seven, is answers to questions that they sent. It's like write in your questions, and you know Paul deals with them. Um, but you know we can actually somewhat surmise. What the questions were based on Paul's answers. And uh, so, if we consider a few things, first of all, if we consider the philosophical climate of Corinth, Corinth had some very strange uh, teaching or beliefs philosophically, not religiously necessarily, but philosophically. Um, They believed that the body was completely evil. And uh, because and then, from based on that, that the body is completely evil, uh, they had two different uh, philosophical bents, you might say, or directions that they went with it. First of all, the body was completely evil, so a group of people said, well, because the body is totally evil, it doesn't matter what you do with your body you know it's just it's the spirit that counts it's not your body so whatever you want to do with your body you just do it and so as a result there's fornication rampant in Corinth uh, drunkenness gluttony uh, anything you want Corinth was a wild city uh, we talked about that last week being a port city and and everything It was just it was a crazy place so that was the first philosophical output of the body is completely evil the second idea was because the body is totally evil, you shouldn't do anything pleasurable with your body. You should live a total aesthetic life and abstain from any pleasure so that you can achieve some level of spirituality. Oh, both those those directions are completely wrong. So we had that climate. That's the climate that the Corinthian believers were surrounded with there philosophically. Then we had the immorality of Corinth, and we talked about that a great deal last week. And so I won't go into much detail, but they had the Temple of Aphrodite there, and they had thousands of prostitutes. And it was basically worship to go visit a prostitute. Um, and then, of course, we had the Gentiles, the, the majority of the believers in Corinth were Gentiles. And so you have a, a large group of people that didn't grow up with Judaism, didn't grow up with, you know, the law and anything. And now they're, now they're born-again believers. And so learning from, basically from heathenism, how to live as a Christian, how to live as a follower of Christ. And, uh, and as a result of that, you also had uh, married people. Maybe the husband would get saved or the wife would get saved and the other spouse didn't. And so there were so many things going on, and so um, we can kind of maybe guess what those questions might have been. For the single person, maybe the question was, now that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, should I be celibate the rest of my life? Considering all these things, all these influences around, maybe maybe I should just be celibate for Jesus. That was probably one of the questions. For a married person, it might have been, now that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and my spouse is not, should I divorce my spouse? Paul's going to address that. And maybe for the father, now that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, should I not allow my daughter to marry and force her to remain celibate the rest of her life? Because that culture uh, was the, the, the father really ruled that culture in that day. And we'll talk about that later. And so Paul says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, and he says this, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. He's not talking about cooties, okay? So, (laughs) this is basically a euphemism for sexual intercourse. Now, in the Roman culture, um, women were considered chattel or property, basically. Romans, the Greeks, they had multiple wives that served different functions. That was the society that the Christians found themselves in. Uh, A Roman husband or a a man, for example, would have uh, multiple wives. He'd have a wife for childbearing. He'd have a wife for keeping house. He might have a wife for sexual pleasure. But he had the temple of Aphrodite. So all he had to do is he'd go to the temple and visit a prostitute. That That was the culture of marriage in Corinth. And so Paul here is addressing some question that they asked him, and he says, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. In other words, not to be sexually intimate with someone. Nevertheless, verse 2, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Don't have multiple wives. And that was the rampant uh, custom in Corinth and in, in the Roman culture. Verse three, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. We'll stop there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. See, the Roman culture, Paul is trying to communicate to these believers, the Roman culture may encourage husbands to have multiple wives for multiple purposes, so you might have a wife that just cooks and cleans, and, and you have, uh, but you never, ever show her any affection. You never, ever have share that sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. Um, and you save that for the prostitutes at the temple. I don't mean to be crude, but that's, that would have been the thinking. Paul says, you're not to be that way. As a godly husband and wife, you owe each other the affections due them. Again, that's another euphemism for conjugal duty. Um, Paul uses affections, though, because sometimes we get in our head that it's just this physical act, and it's not. It's that word uh, affections literally means kindness. It's that intimacy between a husband and a wife. And, you know, uh, I know that there are husbands and wives who are physically unable to have that sexual intimacy, but you know they can still render the affections, do one another. They can still do that. The um, funny thing, and I shared this last week. Um, I've done both marital counseling and premarital counseling, and usually in premarital counseling, I have three words that I want the the couple, the the the, the single people to remember, and that's don't have sex. <laughs> you know, because that's. I mean, that's the culture. That's the temptation. So when I'm counseling, I'm counseling about all different things. But every, pretty much every meeting comes back to don't have sex. Save yourself for marriage. Just save yourself for that gift uh, that you can give to your wife and for your wife to give to your husband. So those are the three words I use in premarital counseling. But in marriage counseling, I have two words, have sex. <laughs> because if you think about it, the devil wants you to have sex before marriage. That's, 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 he's tempting you to do that. He's trying to get you to do that. Once you're married, that's, that's the issue that a lot of couples have. Now there's all these issues going on. We don't have sex anymore. We don't have that intimacy. It's, I'm not talking sex, OK? The intimacy, that, that closeness, that bonding that God designed sex for within the confines of a married husband and a married wife. Maybe you're here today and go, man, he's really blunt. And this is really controversial. You know, listen, God gave the gift of sexual expression for a husband and a wife in the confines of a marriage. That was, And, it, and, it's, and it's, it's to build the marriage. It's to build that relationship. It's Satan who has twisted it and made it now seem nasty and dirty because it's all perverted by him. So I apologize if you're a little bit like, man, he's really going. I didn't get a whole lot of sleep either, so <laughs> you got a double whammy. <laughs> all right, let's move on here. Enough said. Verse 5, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's interesting, within the sanctity of a marriage, the husband and the wife owe each other affections. It's 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 not an optional thing. You owe each other affections. And he says the husband and wife, they do not have authority over their own bodies. And that's in the sense of withholding affections from one another. In fact, he says, or do not deprive one another. That word, King James uh, says defraud. Don't defraud one another. And it literally means to cheat or to rob. So if you're withholding, you're actually cheating. You're robbing your spouse. And so probably some of the questions that the Corinthians may have had is, you know, now that I'm a believer and we see all this rampant immorality in our culture, maybe it's more spiritual if we as a Christian husband and wife, we just don't participate in that. We don't do sex. We don't have that intimacy. And uh, Paul is trying to communicate to them, you're not more spiritual if you're celibate within the marriage. In fact, it's just the opposite. You might be opening up the door for temptation Verse 6, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. You see, the Lord, God never commands a husband and wife to withhold sexual intimacy, intimacy from each other, but he makes concession. In other words, he allows it. And it's under the following conditions that Paul describes there in verse 5, by mutual consent, and it's temporary for the purpose of prayer and fasting. Verse 7, for I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul says, he talks about celibacy, it's a gift. And it's, you know, some people have that gift, some people don't. I would say that the norm for 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 adults is marriage that's the norm now it's, it's not the rule i mean it's it's just it's the norm um being celibate uh is more of a it's not as common um and you might say well how do i know if you're single here today how do i know if i have the gift of celibacy and it's just really simple are you burning with lust <laughs> if you are chances are you don't have the gift of celibacy just chances are um, but Paul's going to delve into the subject a little bit more later, so I'm I'm going to save for that. Um, but Paul says something interesting here, verse 7. He says, "For I wish that all men were even as I myself." So that really raises a question: Was Paul married, or was Paul single? And you know, one of the things I think about sometimes it's, it's you know it's like, well, if he's going to give marriage counseling, I hope he's I hope he's speaking from experience, and it's not just like I read a lot of books. I'm going to share this stuff with you. Um, uh, I think Paul was married at some point in his life. And the reason why I think so is because of the Jewish cultural tradition of the day. A Jewish young man was expected to be married in their culture. It was was not normal for them not to be married in that culture. Not only that, but Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. And that was, from what we understand, that was a requirement of the Sanhedrin, that they be a married man to be part of the Sanhedrin. So it's very likely that Paul was married. Uh, But he says, for I wish that each one uh, I wish that all men were even as myself, and later on we'll find out that Paul is single at the time that he writes this letter. So there's two possibilities. Either he was widowed, his wife passed away at some point, and we don't, even, we don't know any of the details about that, or the other possibility is that after he became a believer in Jesus Christ, his wife left him, divorced him. And that's a, that's a, I think there's strong you know possibilities either way. So Paul says... Uh, now to the married, verse 10, I command. So here's where this next, uh, this section here is. He's talking to married couples. And I believe, although this is true for all married couples, it's especially true for the marriage where two people are believers in Jesus Christ. Verse 10, he says, not to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. That I command, yet not I by the Lord. Does that sound kind of confusing? It's like, wait a minute, what's the deal here? What Paul, I believe, is saying is that they already had the Lord's teachings on this issue because we know from Matthew 5, verses 31 through 32, Jesus said, furthermore it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. That's what Jesus said. That was the command that the Lord gave. Listen, the wife is not to leave her husband. Um, the husband's not to divorce his wife. Period. But notice that he says, "But even if she does." See, there's the ideal. There's the standard, and God sets the standard. But the reality is, you have two sinners, two people that are they they're they're in the flesh. They're they're you know they're they're uh, they're dealing with their flesh. I should say. Hopefully, they're not in the flesh. God's ideal is that marriage lasts for a lifetime. But the reality is people get divorced that's the reality that's the reality that we live in today god's ideal is that marriage lasts for a lifetime but people get divorced why because of hardness of heart that's what it boils down to either one or both um, there's hardness of heart there but it, jesus is saying in the case of divorce for any other reason other than adultery the spouse has two options Remain unmarried. This is, we're talking about a Christian. Remain unmarried or be reconciled to their spouse. They're not free to remarry as long as the possibility exists for reconciliation. But now Paul's going to add another condition or another situation. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes as well. well. Listen, when it comes to divorce and marriage, and I can tell you from experience, because I've heard so much and I've dealt with so much, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances. You know what should be black and white, plain and simple, uh, it becomes gray. Why? Because of sin. I always say this when I'm dealing with man. Sin complicates things, and it's so true. Um, it's things are not just like okay, this is it and that's it. And this, you know, there are gray areas because because of sin, because of sin. Now maybe you're here this morning, and we got a group of people here. Maybe you're maybe you are divorced and you're presently remarried, maybe you got divorced for the wrong reasons and maybe biblically you shouldn't have been remarried, but you are, listen, I want to encourage you, okay? You have not committed the unforgivable sin, okay? I just want you to understand, you have not committed the unforgivable sin. Just acknowledge your mistakes, acknowledge your sin. Listen, the Lord is merciful, he forgives and he can still use your life. You're not like this discarded person now because I made this mistake no god can still use your life i want to encourage you in that so don't i hope you're not if you're here i hope you're not like oh man i'm just that's it for me verse 12 but to the rest i not the lord say if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him let him not divorce her and a woman who has a husband who does not believe if he is willing to live with her uh, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. Or a brother or a sister, uh, excuse me, a brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Notice Paul says here, but to the rest I, not the Lord, say. It's just the opposite of what he said there in verse 10. Listen, they already had Christ's teaching on marriage and divorce, but Jesus never dealt with the issue of one person that you know they come to faith in the Lord. One person is a believer, and one person is not a believer. Why didn't Jesus deal with that? Because at that point the church had not been birthed yet. This is a new situation, and and so Paul's teaching here, he's sharing this, and he says, uh, you know, this is what I'm saying. The Lord, you already have what The Lord's commanded. This is what I'm saying, and it's no less inspired. Okay, it's no less inspired. It's it's uh, what Paul shares here. This, by the way, would answer the question of the person who was married and had become a believer, but their spouse had not. Okay, what do you do? I, I'm, you know, and they, so this is undoubtedly, this was probably one of the questions that they asked Paul. Is it more spiritual to divorce my unsaved husband or my unsaved wife? Um, are our children now illegitimate in a spiritual sense? I mean, these would have been real concerns of these, of these new believers, these babes in Christ. And so Paul's communicating to them, no, it's not more spiritual to divorce. Remain married as long as the unbelieving spouse is willing to live with you, as long as it consents to remain in the marriage. He says the unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse. It doesn't mean that the unbelieving spouse is saved. They have to come to faith in Christ themselves. But what it does mean, sanctified basically means set apart. And what I believe Paul's saying is the unbelieving spouse is set apart for God's blessings just by being linked to the believing spouse. It's the same for you in the workplace. Maybe you're the only believer in your workplace. You're a blessing to your employer, or maybe you're an employer and you're the Christian and you've got non-safe people working for you. You're a blessing to them simply by them being linked to you, the believer. But Paul says, "But hey, if they want to get out of the marriage, the unbelieving spouse, if they want to get out of the marriage, let them leave. Don't fight trying to make them stay. Especially if you think forcing them to remain, that you know, I'm going to force them to remain because they'll get saved. Paul says, you 'You don't know that that's going to happen. How do you know? If they, you know, God's called us to peace. Just let them go. Let them go. That's that situation: an unbelieving spouse and a and a believing spouse. And you know, from uh, one of the things that I, oh man." can't stress enough if you're not married and you're 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 wanting to get married you're considering get married whatever make sure your spouse is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ make sure make sure that they're at least as mature as you are maybe look for somebody to be more mature than you because why because if if you're not equally yoked in that area it's going to be nothing but problems I can guarantee it You'll have there'll be issues. And maybe they don't pop up right away, but as soon as the kids are there, it's like okay, now all of a sudden these issues come up. So it's so important. Um, and and so but but here's a situation where the church, you know, the, Paul started the church in Corinth and people are getting saved, and you know the husband gets saved or the wife gets saved, the other doesn't has no inclination to. And so this is a situation. How do you address it? And so that's what this is Paul's talking about here. He says, the believing spouse is not under bondage in this case. He, she, he or she is free to remarry another believer. It has to be a believer, OK? It needs to be a believer. Um, but they're not under bondage in this case, where one's saved and one's not saved. Um, <clears throat> and no. He's communicating to them, your children are not spiritually illegitimate if you're married to an unbeliever. They're blessed by by being linked to you, the believer, in a special way. You're praying for them. You're sharing the word to them. They have a very close influence of the Lord. Same with your unbelieving spouse. So there's a blessing that comes in that. And he says, God has called us to peace. Now, in a few more verses, and we'll talk about it, he says, do not become slaves of men. Listen, in the case of an abused or an abandoned spouse, I don't believe you're under bondage either to remain in a marriage like that. But there's a but there. We have to be careful. One size doesn't fit all, OK? Um, I've, you know, someone might say, hey, my marriage is not peaceful. God's called me peace, so I want out of the marriage you know, or maybe, uh, you know, he or she, they're, they're just always saying bad things about me. They're verbally abusing me. I went out of the marriage. Listen, we have to be careful that we're not trying to find a loophole to get out of a difficult marriage. You might be in a difficult marriage and you might need to remain in a difficult marriage, but I want to give you hope. There's always, you know, those things are not unsalvageable. Those things can be, can be addressed and dealt with. But having said that, Here's another but. <laughs> lots, of, lots of butts in this chapter. Having said that, a physical abuse situation, I believe, and I believe Bible supports, that God would never require you to remain in a place where you or your children are being physically harmed um, or severely neglected as well. I don't believe that God would want you to remain in that. Um, you know, I, I, I've dealt with scenarios uh, as a pastor Many times, um, a believing spouse that's mistreating the other. Um, And I say spouse, frequently it's the husband's, Okay, Let's just be frank. Frequently, it's the husband's that's mistreating the wife. Um, Although, I'll be honest with you, I've dealt with a couple situations where the wife was the abuser, and the husband, it's, it's like, that's a new thing to me. It's a heartbreaking thing. One of them was one of my best friends. It's like It was a terrible thing, I was trying to counsel him through that. Um, but generally speaking, it's frequently it's the husbands. And so I'm going to address this to the husbands, because I think that's more common. Colossians 3.19. We talked about this last Wednesday night. Had a great discussion in Colossians 3. Paul says this, husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter toward them. That word love, it's the agape. Agape love your wives. In fact, Paul would say in another letter, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Man, I am so thankful that Jesus doesn't, like, you know, berate me, beat me over the head. He doesn't abuse me. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't, doesn't neglect me. Oh, man, I've got such a beautiful relationship with the Lord. If I don't have a relation, good relationship with the Lord, it's my fault. Because he's, he loves me and he wants that fellowship. And, and, uh, and so um, loving your wife as Christ loves the church, that means laying down your rights sacrificially for your wife because that's exactly what Jesus, that's how Jesus loved the church. He gave up every right. He died to himself. He physically died for his bride, the church. And that's the command that us as husbands are to love our wives sacrificially not demanding their way, our way, not demanding that they submit to us. That's not Christ's love. And he says, "Husbands love your wives and do not be bitter towards them." What do you mean by not being bitter? This is what we talked about last Wednesday night. I looked it up and I did some studying on it. this was it boils down to bitter. There's a, there's a, there's a list here. One is ruling like a tyrant. That's being bitter. Another is talking down, verbally abusing. Physical abuse, of course, that's being bitter. Strictness, severity, or harshness. Cranky also fits into this category. Rude, Um, being difficult to work with. In other words, you're stubborn or uncompromising. Denying affection, denying care, provision, protection, or assistance. Treating your wife as a child, a servant or a slave that's what that bitter boils down to that's what that literally means now except for physical abuse i think that's in a totally separate category <coughs> once that happens i don't think i don't think it's like oh well, let's write it out and see what happens well, let's deal with it right now if there's a physical abuse but listen i've occasionally maybe once in my marriage been rude to my wife <laughs> no i I've been rude to my wife. I've talked down to her. Um, I've, I've, I've been unbending, uncompromising in our marriage before, as probably all of us have, right? So we're not talking about an occasional thing. Oh, you're cranky this morning? Huh. I'm getting a divorce. <laughs> no, no, no. Because we all are. We're sinners, okay? We, we, that's us. What I'm talking about is a pattern and a continual habit of that, that's, if the, someone were to describe you, that's what they'd describe you. Man, he's a bitter person. That's the person that I'm talking about. So, not talking now, physical, again, physical, I deal with that right away. I don't, it's like, get out of there. We'll deal with that situation. But if you're bitter towards your wife, as I've described here, and you, your wife wants out of the marriage, now you might come to me and go, hey, <laughs> they're not free biblically to divorce me. Because I haven't committed adultery, and I'm a believer, so they're not—they're—they're they're not biblically permitted to divorce divorce me. You know what my response is? My response is, what do you expect? What do you expect if you're going to treat your spouse that way? They—they're—they're—they're they're, they're f- fragile, just like you are. You think that they can endure that forever? They can't. And in those kind of situations. I think the responsibility for the decision of divorce falls squarely on you, the bitter person. It's your hardness of heart that's responsible for the outcome. And for, in those kind of situations, I will support the divorcing spouse. Well, they weren't biblically, you know, they're not supposed to marriage, but they're not supposed to leave. Yeah, I know, they're not. But what do you expect? If you're not going to love them as Christ loves the church, how long can a person endure that? And I know, you know, we've encouraged people in those kind of situations. You know, if you're in a difficult, again, it's so easy to say, well, this is, I'm in, you know, my husband, you know, looked at me sideways today. I'm in a difficult marriage. You know, through counseling, we kind of discern whether someone, you know, it's like, okay, you know what? Yeah, you are in a difficult marriage, but, you know, you need to stay there. Let's work. Let's work together. Let's counsel you. Uh, Healed and Set Free is a great opportunity for people that are in, going through difficult situations like that. Um, Teresa can share more about that stuff, um, I think, next week. We'll talk about, a little bit more about it. Um, yeah. You know, if it gets to that point, I would have hoped that I would have had an opportunity to intervene. I would have hoped that I would have had an opportunity before I reached that point. But frequently, the bitter person, they're not willing to, to talk about it. They're not willing to deal with their issue, to address their issues until it's too late. And that point it's like, I just shrug my shoulders and go, you know, I'm sorry that that's happening, but I don't know what to tell you. If you've driven the person away, how do you deal with that? Verse 17. But as God has distributed to each one, as the lord has called each one so let him walk and so i ordain in all the churches was anyone called while circumcised let him not become uncircumcised was anyone called while circumcised or while uncircumcised let him not be circumcised circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but keeping the commands the commandments of god is what matters let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. This again applies to the person who thought in Corinth they got they got saved and they thought maybe I need to maybe I need to to leave. This is an overarching overarching or over. It's like a, I guess overarching <laughs> principle. It, it covers so many areas, not just marriage. Do you guys remember in Mark chapter five when the demonic member from the Gadarenes? This guy was demon possessed, and he was living in the tombs, and and people tried to put chains around him, and he would break the chains, and he was like he was a terror to that whole community, and and he was just he he was just off by himself in the tombs there. And when Jesus came to that side of the lake, he came, and Jesus drove the demons out. You remember the story of the deviled ham that went into the lake, anyways. Um, <laughs> Some of you got that. Okay. First case of deviled ham in the Bible. Um, Anyways, uh, uh, where was I going with that? Oh yeah. So, so, okay. So Jesus drove out that legion of demons from that person. So this guy's got a brand new lease on life. He's, 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 people come and they see him sitting at the feet of Jesus, calm. He's no longer screaming. He's no longer you know, ripping his clothes and doing all this stuff. Here's this calm, sane person sitting at the feet of Jesus. And they're blown away by it. And so then the Jesus is now the people that own the swine. They're freaked out because it's like, we just lost you know, a year's profit into the Sea of Galilee. And they go, Jesus, leave this place. That's a sad thing when people say that, but they do. So Jesus gets in the boat, and the, the guy who's been delivered, he wants to go with Jesus. Man, I want to follow you anywhere you want to go. Anywhere you go, I want to be there. What did Jesus say? No, no, no. He says, stay. Stay where you're at. Go back to your family. Be a testimony to your family. To be, and, and I would say that's why I say this is an overarching principle. Be a testimony of Christ where you are. Whatever situation you're, you came to faith in the Lord, wherever you find yourself today, maybe the Lord just wants you in that situation so that you can be a testimony to those around you. Verse 21, were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. Now, that seems kind of strange because we like, well, who would be in slavery? I mean, listen, that was a very relevant issue in Paul's day. Albert Barnes, the commentator, says this, in Athens, in her best days, had 20,000 free men, but 400,000 slaves. That was the population of Athens. 20,000 people that were free, 400,000 slaves. Slavery was rampant in the Roman Empire. Think how life, you know, sometimes I think, I've got it hard, I I don't have it hard. But some people say, man, my life is so hard, I've got these things. Listen, can you imagine being a slave? How hard? I mean, that's probably the hardest, I would think, condition to remain in once you got saved. It's probably the least desirable lot in life. And Paul says, hey, if you can go free, go for it. If you can get your freedom, go. But if you're unable to, he says, don't be too concerned about it. Wow. Why would he say that? Well, verse 22 For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free, is Christ's slave. That's such a paradox. And there are other paradoxes in scriptures, but that's a paradox of the Christian's life. Listen, the, sl- <clears throat> the slave, you may still be physically a slave, but right now you're free in Jesus Christ. You're free. And yet, the freed person who never was a slave, you come to faith in Jesus Christ, man, now you're a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Paul calls himself the bond slave of Christ throughout his, the scriptures. What a paradox. It's the same thing like what Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, uh, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He who desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It just doesn't make sense, but it's true, spiritually it's true. And so the slave is free in Christ, while the free man becomes the bond slave of Christ. Verse 23, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Listen, God is to be first in our life no matter what our situation in life is. God is to be first. You've been freed from sin to be a slave of Jesus Christ and that price that Christ paid for you and for me, man, it was high. It was his blood, his precious blood, Peter says. Verse 24, brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. And you know, I think about Paul. Uh, who went through so many things. I, I think he was married. Now he's unmarried. Uh, you know, he's he's gone through uh, beatings, and he's gone through going days without food, being mistreated, all kinds of stuff. And Paul, uh, I think it's in Philippians, says, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, he granted, he'd never been to Iowa before, but listen, <laughs> sorry. If you're, if you're from Iowa, I'm sorry. I always say that. I just get a kick out of that. But anyways, um Whatever state Paul was in, he learned to be content. That that can be a difficult thing. Another verse we looked at in Wednesday, Colossians three, verse twenty-three and twenty-four. Whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Listen, and we're going to get a lot more into the the second half, or I guess it'll be the second third of this chapter next week. We're going to address the rest of this, uh, the topics that Paul had to deal, talking about single people, because you know that's that's an issue. People that want to get married, what do you do and stuff. But listen, Paul basically is saying to those believers there who thought that they needed to change their situation, that you know they'd be more spiritual, or you know what do we do? Paul's basically saying, hey, stay where you're at serve God serve him with all your heart uh you know be a witness where you're at and be content where you're at and you might say you know this is a difficult thing I don't I, I can't handle this well I want to tell you something Paul says this Philippians 4:13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me And so I just want to encourage you today, if you're going, you know, whatever situation you're at, and, and, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about a lot of different situations and, and again, I don't think one size fits all, but I want to encourage you that maybe the Lord has you where you're at for a reason. Uh, maybe he's doing a work in you and maybe he's also wanting to use you to do a, you know, working through you to be a a witness to somebody else that you don't have any clue that you're witnessing to them. So by your life and, uh by what you're going through.